where we have taken the word grace and made an acronym of it, walking through and considering what our core values as a church are based upon what the core values of Scripture are. Now, there are some who may push back against anything like this, and and I understand that because I'm typically that way. I'm pretty cynical by nature. I can even be a little bit critical at times. I know that's hard to believe. And uh, because of that, I just had to begin to wrestle with, okay, what is the purpose and what is the point of letting our family of faith know what the core values of the Bible are? And I really began to think and understand this uh, when I considered the grocery store. Every one of us goes and we, we buy groceries. And as much as we love for things to be organic, eat right, we lean towards organic things. I, brought some, I bought some berries the other day. I sold a kidney to get organic strawberries. Those, that produce, anything that you would buy that is categorized as organic still goes through a process. And that process is there so that it is clean. They wash the berries. They take care of things like that. We look at what it means for us to consider the core values of our church so that we will consider, yes, God is naturally going to reveal himself to us through his word and we're going to trust his word and lean into his word and as we do that we're going to highlight the places where we see the church and what it's called to be so uh, today our value is authenticity and if you are looking into our uh, discover grace curriculum if you're a new person here or if you've looked at our website and the work that jared's done there we it reads this we desire to live in a community that is transparent truth-filled and deceit-free because jesus is always truthful never lying nor is he deceiving We push towards authenticity for me and for you because that's not our natural bend. John Calvin says this, The human heart has so many crannies. I love that he used crannies because this could be John Calvin or my grandmother. The human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks, is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. Have you ever been in a place where your heart tricked you? We were talking in my life group just a couple of weeks ago about when Jesus talks about an eye that is fixed on the darkness and if it's fixed on the darkness, how great the darkness is. It's a hard passage to understand, but it's this very concept that if we are so immersed in what is dark and never pushing away and pulling away from that, then that will become what is real and acceptable to us. So we as followers of Jesus seek after authenticity. We have two authenticity anchors that I would love for us to consider. Those anchors are a scripture and and a worship of God. So let me give you those. Uh, We plan and we pray each Sunday for authentic worship. So when we gather together in this room, we hope that our worship is an authentic thing. That when we sing songs that we are directing you and by directing I mean Jared is directing our band is directing you to sing to God genuinely the reason that we would ascribe to that is because in John chapter 4 verse 24 Jesus has got a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth again these two anchors authentic worship and then we also believe the Bible to be God's authentic word for his people 
So when we look into Scripture every Sunday, this is not just ink on paper. This is God breathing on paper. That God has spoken to us from His Word and that He has something to say to us as His people because He is a God who cares for us and loves us. Here's what we see in 2 Timothy 3. It's a great passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. So those two anchors, authentic worship, authentically looking at the Scripture for what it is, God breathing Himself to us. Because of those anchors, there are applications that come from it. These are the things that we strive to do because we have experienced God for who He is. We will hope to display authentic faith. Now, every one of us knows there are shortcomings that come with that. But in James 2, James says to us, someone will say, well, you've got your faith, but I've got my works. Let's paraphrase. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We want to display that. We hope to see the world for what it is. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We do push towards authentic community. We strive toward that. Striving towards relationships that are genuinely directed to help others around us be in a deeper relationship with Jesus. Just a closer walk with Him, as the song says. James 5, 16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So with all that in mind, these anchors and these applications of authenticity, I want us to get to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But to understand 5, 1 through 11, we've got to look at 4, 32 through 37, where we have this repeated theme of the book of Acts for the way the church cared for one another, loved one another, poured into one another. Picking up with me in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of land or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the decision that they made. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Then Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, a very lengthy title as well, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid that at the apostles' feet. He gets to the apostles and gives them everything that he receives for the land. And this sets into motion what we see in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, because you have this early church loving one another correctly, caring for one another rightly, pouring themselves out for the sake of those who were believers and for those they hoped to be believers, 
Giving as to those who were in need, caring for the broken, as we see in Acts chapter 2, praying over one another, breaking bread together. And this action by Barnabas is responded to by another couple. Now his name was Joseph, but everybody called him Barnabas. That was his nickname. He was a son of encouragement. He picked people up. He lifted them up. And Ananias and Sapphira see this action. And they have a conversation. Sapphira gets home and looks at Ananias and says, Do you know we're calling Joseph Barnabas now? Because of that big gift he gave to the apostles at their feet? He got a nickname. Ananias replies, I want a nickname. You deserve a nickname, says Sapphira. Well, you do too, said Ananias. Maybe they'll call us Pookie and Ray Ray. Those would be fantastic nicknames for us. Verse 1, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. Just like Joseph, who was called Barnabas, would do. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid that at the apostles' feet. We don't have a problem yet. If you're worrying about what names mean in the scripture, Ananias means that God is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful. The problem comes in verse 3. Because Peter knows that something is wrong. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? The problem with this passage, whenever we have a quick reading of it, is we don't really begin, we don't know the depths of the story, though we can unfold those a little bit. The problem with what takes place with Ananias and Sapphira was not the amount of money they brought, it was what they communicated. And what was being communicated from each of them when they stood before the apostles was everything that we're giving to you is all that we receive for the land. Peter goes as far to say to him, we weren't worried about your money. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He didn't have to lie. He did not have to give. Peter, in effect, tells him, you could have kept the money. Honestly, given only part of the money. Ananias, you could have kept the land. You could have brought in a circus and made money off of your land. It was your land. The money was yours. The problem is not in what you gave. The problem is that you claimed to give it all. Because Ananias had watched the way that Barnabas had been received and his desire was to be received in the same way. You said you gave everything, but you didn't. 
Again, we're talking about giving. Why do you keep bringing up giving? Because when we look through the scriptures, whenever we see this concept of giving, it's always showing us that it has ties to a human heart. The resource is interchangeable. The response is what's necessary. What had been presented to Peter and the apostles was deliberate, intentional, artificial holiness. It's like when you go to a party and people tell you that there are Oreos that are there. And you can look and see that it's just a big plate of Eero E's, <laughs> Duplex. What are those? Oreos. No, they're not. My grandmother used to tell me she had ice cream. It was actually what was called iced milk. That was gross. <laughs> Deliberate, intentional, artificial holiness. The problem's the deception, and the deception shows up in churches and gatherings of believers every single Sunday. We are deceivers naturally. Let me give you a life example. How many of you had to teach your children how to lie? Our hearts are bent towards lying. We just get better at it. We live in the middle of deception. We love to communicate that everything's okay. We sing songs. I surrender all. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We consistently turn back. A.W. Tozer said, Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. We are most like Ananias when we want others to think that we are more spiritual than we actually are. There are some alerts for us to consider and to, to wrestle with when we're in situations with other believers and people that we love. There are some phrases that we can hear others say, and honestly, we should be listening for ourselves to say in regards to deception. I'm okay. I'm okay. So we can just know that I'm not the only one who's not okay. If you have ever told someone that you were okay or all right when in actuality you were not okay or all right, can you raise your hand? Now, there are numerous hands that are not up. You can work through that on your own heart. <laughs> when our prayers, when we get together at life group or Bible study, this is a sign for us, helpful. When our prayers, when we are together in a life group or a Bible study, are always for other people, It says something about the deception that creeps up inside of us. When no one knows the deepest, darkest struggles of our lives. When everything that you read says that every man and every woman struggle with pornography. The bulk. When every man and every woman seem to have a struggle with self-image. And we consistently tell the people we come in contact with we're okay. We're okay. Peter says, why have you just... Why is it 
that you have contrived this deed in your heart. You've not lied to men. You've lied to God. When we sit in our circles, okay. The person that you're cheating is yourself. Because there's no desire to be genuine and and honest in front of people. John Wartburg, Presbyterian pastor, says, Life in the kingdom of this world is the constant struggle to be smarter, prettier, richer, or stronger than somebody else, and therefore to be special. Why is this spiritual fakeness present in Ananias and Sapphira? Spiritual fakeness is ugly head when we want to be received. We're in a group of people that we do not know or that we do not know well, and we want to be part of the group. Spiritual fakeness rears its head when we want to be recognized. If I do this, the giving of the land, the selling of the land, the giving a portion of the money, letting everyone think that I've given all of the money, then I will be recognized. Spiritual fakeness rears its head when we want to be remembered, when we are in situations and scenarios where we want people to think back to what we did rather than the God who did that thing through us. And at its most corrupt, we see spiritual fakeness rise up and rear its head when we want to rise to power. A friend of mine's a pastor of a church in, a, in the capital city of a southeastern state. And at election season, his attendance grows tremendously. Because everyone running for office wants to be there wants to be noticed so that they will be able to rise to power. Name tags and districts everywhere. How much do we want to be received, recognized, remembered, and rise to power? How much do our hearts take us in that general direction? Verse 5. This is where the story gets good. When I mean good, I mean weird. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The King James reads... He gave up the ghost. One pastor says, If God worked like this now, we would need a cemetery behind the church and a mortician on staff. It's a rare, it's a rarity in the scriptures that this happens. Where God would deal with something what as quickly and as efficiently as he dealt with Ananias? Our question when we read a text like this as followers of Jesus should not be, why did this happen? It should be, why doesn't this happen more? Honestly, it's really hard to find. You've seen a transition at this point in the church history and when I'm talking about Acts. Because there was a point where you gathered at the temple... And the temple was a spiritual place where you 
as a people met together. Here it shifted to this gathering of the church. The place calling for authenticity and genuineness is this collection of believers, yet it's missing at times. Hope was out of town last weekend. Some of you have asked me where my Operation Hopeless posts were. I need to let you know her mom and dad came in town. So it was gravy, baby, all weekend long. <laughs> On Monday, we, uh, she was flying in. She's supposed to land at 3. I, I took the kids to Houston and I went to a jump park with Alder. The, the boys and Noli had some baseball, softball thing that they did. I'm at the, Alder and I are at the jump park avoiding germs. Every child in Houston was there. Hope her plane gets rescheduled because she was on a plane. And when it was rescheduled, eventually she's going to land at... Uh, 10.45, I made a couple of phone calls and to the fine folks at Delta they got her to an earlier flight but she had to go to Bush as opposed to Hobby so the flight is landing at Bush I don't have no idea where I'm at when I'm at Bush airport I just know that it's there and there are five or six places that you can be picked up I'm driving Hope's minivan and when I roll up I notice that she's talking to two men and they, she's trying to help them. You, you, if you've ever noticed your wife trying to help someone, you can tell, oh, she's such a better person than me. She's trying to help that person. She waves for me to come over, and, and when I walk towards her, she said, he is trying to get in touch with Uber. And this, was a, this young man was, uh, he's originally from Vietnam. He was unfamiliar with Houston, unfamiliar with Uber, unfamiliar with all these things. And he had sent the Uber to where he wanted to go. So I'm trying to process this on his Android phone, which is like trying to process it in Swahili. <laughs> Hope said, we can just take them where they need to go. And I said, we can? <laughs> I have no idea where these guys are going. It's him and his grandfather. The grandfather speaks no English whatsoever. And all that I do is speak English loudly. I said, sure we can. So I pop the trunk of the van. And when it pops up, I remember. Two weeks ago, we decorated this minivan for Noli's birthday party. If you are unfamiliar, that means we had Christmas lights throughout it. We had tinsel throughout it. There was a disco ball shooting lights everywhere in the van. And they get into the van and I've got to either explain or just go with it. For one of them, he just went with it because he did not speak English. So he sits down behind the front seat and they're connecting from three directions directly on his head and he never budges. That's what we expect here in Texas. As I'm talking to the younger gentleman who's 30 years old, he lets me know about his life. His grandfather owns a restaurant, Saigon One. If you're ever in Virginia Beach, you have been given permission to eat there for free. Just tell them Chad sent you. 
but I don't work there. He's a nail tech. And I'm asking these questions of him, and he's asking questions of me, and he tells me that he... I said, what do you like to do? Because that's a good question, right? He said, I love to race cars. What? People really do that? Like fast and furious stuff? He told me about his 1988 Toyota Supra supercharged and learned a lot about that. And then I asked him, just in the middle of this situation where it's me, him, his granddad, and my wife in the back seat who was resting because she was not contributing to this conversation the way that I needed her to. I said, what was it like when you moved here? He said, I hated it. Why do you hate it? I did not understand what anyone said. But I knew people were making fun of me for the way that I looked and the way that I talked. And I knew I did not belong. When's the last time you really worked through the hurt of someone in our faith family like that? When's the last time you worked through your own hurt like that? What takes place with Ananias and Zephyrah? is that everything is based on a lie. This falsehood, this pretense, it's, it's driven by the lie. And lying, it really does a number on one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. Because when we lie, we have depowered the gift that God has given you and me to express what we're really wrestling with. The young men rose up, verse 6. They wrapped him up and they carried him out and they buried him. It's the first burial in the new church. One commentator says and it was the burial of a hypocrite. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. I don't know if she couldn't read the room, but I feel like if I'd walked in and my husband wasn't there, I would have just been looking around like, something's weird here. Why is everybody so quiet? Ananias is not there. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this much. And again, she is given opportunity to, to tell the complete truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. She did not think Peter could handle the truth. And she said, yeah, I sold it for that much. But Peter said, how is it that you've agreed to test the Spirit of the Lord? Why are you pushing against God? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down and she breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. 
This is a very odd passage, Chad. Why would we choose this passage? What is the benefit of this passage for us as a church when we consider what it means to be authentic? What takes place to Ananias and Sapphira does not end with Ananias and Sapphira. The deaths of these two people were used by God to benefit the church as a whole. Notice what takes place in verse 11. It says, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. Why? If this behavior had not grown unchallenged, the entire church could have easily gone in this insanely inappropriate direction. And when I say church, I don't mean First Apostles Church of Jerusalem. I mean every single church ever from that point forward. Because you would have built something on a falsehood when in actuality God has said, I just want you to be honest with me. Now, honesty. Spiritual pretense and falsehood has far-reaching effects. So what do we do to move forward toward authenticity? Well, there's some questions that we can ask of ourselves. Are we truthful people? Do we tell the truth? Do we want to tell the truth? Are we choosing to make decisions that help us to tell the truth better? Do you have someone in your life truthful enough to tell you when you're not? Do we trust that God would help us and to rely on His grace? Do we seek this anchor of the Word of God and this anchor of the worship of God to help us to know that He calls for that from us and to help us fight and combat our tendency toward deception? Do we beg God to take away all of the things inside of us that want to propagate falsehood for the sake of being received, remembered, recognized, and rise to power.